Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. Friends, if I haven't met you, my name's Nathan. It's great to have you at church today, almost the new year. Oh, okay. Um, Happy New Year. Woohoo! So, as Travis has already said, over January, we're going to heaven. We're going to think about heaven each week. We're going to think of a different aspect of heaven each week. And today, we're thinking about where is heaven? Now, uh, can I say, I have done a lot of funerals since being in one of the retirement capitals of Australia. But I think by far the saddest of funerals is, is the funerals of children, as you can imagine. I have done a few. There was a funeral at a previous church of a child, a little girl called Emily. She was four or five years old and she was diagnosed uh, with a brain cancer. Now, it was confronting week by week to see Emily come to church and to see just a little bit more of how that brain cancer was taking its toll. There was not much that could be done for her, and later that year, she died. A few months later, after that, uh, a mutual friend of Emily's family, uh, I invited him to a men's dinner, which would be an evangelistic, an outreach dinner. And so as we were sitting there having dinner, he says to me, well, you know, I don't believe there's an afterlife. I believe you just live and then you die and that's it. To which I said to him, well, what about Emily? Is she now nowhere? to which he immediately sighed deeply, buried his face in his hands and said, she has got to be somewhere. It's said that uh, it's very easy to be an atheist in theory, but the minute it gets personal, things change. And so they say there are no atheists in foxholes or trenches, that sort of thing. But it seems to be the case that there are also no atheists at family funerals either. Because suddenly, I have experienced time after time, people who, with no visible, at least, prior faith, begin to speak very confidently about the destination of their loved one. And so you've heard it. They are in a better place. They are looking down on us now. They are now finally with, insert name of deceased partner. Their pets are there. I'm amazed at the amount of fishing that's going on in heaven. (laughs) Along with fishing, there's plenty of Beer drinking going on. But the one that often turns up 
and unfortunately it's mostly with grandmas, is this. She's up there now telling God what to do, sorting heaven out. <laughs> well, what do you believe about the afterlife? Because what Christians believe is that there is an afterlife, and although we're not told a lot about heaven, I think we're not told a lot so that no one tries and gets an early mark at one level, but although we're not told a lot about heaven, we are told enough about heaven for what we need to know. We're on a need-to-know basis when it comes to, comes to heaven. And so Paul will say in Colossians chapter 3, we are set our hearts and set our minds on things above where Christ is seated. You see, heaven is big-time motivation for godly living in the New Testament. But my question today is not so much, is it a motivation, but is it a destination? Is heaven somewhere we go? And if it is somewhere we go, then how do you get there and where is it? So I have three points. The first one is this. Heaven is not really there. Secondly, heaven is here, sort of. And thirdly, heaven is coming to a planet near you. Uh, firstly, heaven is not really there. Now, before you panic and think Nathan doesn't believe in heaven, what I mean is heaven is not really there, up there. As if you could get in a rocket and take off and bump into heaven. Uh, Nikita Khrushchev, who was the first secretary, secretary of the Communist Party in, Soviet Union, in the Soviet Union, uh, while speaking to young communists about the importance of avoiding religion, spoke of Yuri Gagarin's trip, the first man in space. And Nikita said, why are you clinging to God? Gagarin flew into space and he didn't see God. But you might say, well, if he just went a little bit further, maybe a few more thousand light years, he would have got there. Well, the Bible does seem to talk about heaven as a place. Because 1 Peter often speaks of heaven being the place where Jesus is. Heaven is the place from where the Holy Spirit comes. Heaven is where our inheritance is kept safe. Heaven is where wisdom comes from, James will say. Uh, Jesus and Hebrews will say that our names are written in heaven. But here's the thing. Heaven is pretty constantly described as the place from where those things come and not where we are going. I can't find any or many places that talk about us going to heaven. I can find an abundance of places that talk about heaven coming to us. So the passage read for us from Revelation 21, thanks Ellen, verse 3 said this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he 
will dwell with them. What we do is invert the whole thing. We start to talk about people going to be with God. Us going to live with him. When the Bible's picture is completely the opposite direction. One writer put it like this. Heaven is more like God's space, which will be integrated into our space. Now, this was the plan always, wasn't it? Think of Genesis. The people of God, their job was to heavenize earth. Adam and Eve were to subdue the earth and multiply. Their job was to, you could say, extend the borders of Eden so that it covered the whole planet. They were to turn a local garden into a global city. Along with that, Israel, remember, was to be a light to the nations to show humanity, that is, those made in the image of God, to show humanity what it was to live in the image of God, to have the revelation, the word of God come to them. So it was not so much to colonize, but to heavenize was Israel's task. So the goal of creation was the heavenization of earth. And God finishes what he starts. That remains the goal. And to put it too simply, where Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. He is the heavenizer of the planet. That's why, remember the prayer that Jesus tells us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that not a heavenization of earth prayer? You see, the Christian hope is not that we will go to heaven. The Christian hope is resurrection. That is that heaven will come to us. So if we don't go to heaven, but heaven comes to us, when will that happen? And the good news is, it's already begun. And you might think, wait, what? It's already begun? I'm sure I would have noticed that, heaven turning up. Well, that's the second point. Heaven is here, sort of. Uh, when Jesus turned up, he would say that the kingdom of heaven was near. And he would say the kingdom of heaven is near because he, the king of heaven, was near. Now, think of the Old Testament. The, play, the, the, the one place on the whole planet where heaven touched earth was the temple, the holy of holies. And that place was filled with the spirit of God. That temple back then in the Old Testament was looking forward to being fulfilled, a new temple, and that new temple is Jesus himself, his body, as Jesus says. He's the new temple. Tear this down, down and I'll rebuild it in three days. So now Jesus is where heaven fully and finally touches earth, and Jesus is the priest, the ultimate priest, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate temple, and that ultimate sacrifice in that temple was in his death on the cross when he dealt with the penalty of sin and opened the way for us to be heavenized and to heavenize others. So you could say Jesus' resurrection started a new age and Jesus has begun the heavenization of the world. And so the word goes out, doesn't it? To come to Jesus. 
not only to be forgiven, but to begin to be heavenized, to experience life as the image of God, as God's spirit in us, which says that evangelism is so much more than just making sure that person gets to heaven when they die. Do you see? It's bigger, so much bigger. It's about heavenizing people now. And you see it in history, don't you? Wherever the word about Jesus has gone, forgiveness has been the experience in people's lives. They begin to live a life <clears throat> as people who are in the image of God. That's why Paul will have, in so many of his letters, talk about what's called household tables, what it is now for a boss to be a boss, what it is for a kid to be a kid, a husband and wife to be husband, those sorts of things. This is what it is to be heavenized and to be heavenizing. But what is also spread is care and hospitals and school and welfare and love. It's new creation is beginning to make its mark. That's why Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Get that? Heaven, here, now. The old is gone, the new is here. New creation and resurrection go hand in hand. The Christian hope, therefore, is not to escape earth but, and get to heaven. Rather, it is the renewal of earth. And resurrection. So, take a breath. Where are you saying heaven is? I'm saying heaven is in anyone who is in Christ. Heaven is in anyone who has the Spirit. If you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, then heaven touches earth at that point. So at one level, it's true to say, where is heaven? Look, look beside you. Beside you is a slice of heaven. Most of you aren't looking at beside you. Are you worried about being disappointed? <laughs> so heaven is not up there, but it is here. And here's the important point, <clears throat> that it is here in a veiled way. And an often broken way. And that's because we are not a finished project. We are a work in progress. A day is coming when God will finish what he started. One Corinthians, uh, Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ. And so that's the third point. Heaven is coming to a planet near you. Uh, the day of Christ will bring for the creation, <clears throat> not obliteration, but liberation. And so Romans 8 says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to, to, from its bondage to decay. And brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So here's creation, not looking forward to obliteration, but liberation. But the people of God, not looking forward to evacuation, but transformation. So here's the passage I read at every single funeral. 
But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, some of you, some of you just can't believe that, that we will have these better and new bodies. I mean, you look at Travis and think, how could it be a better than that? You know. <laughs> oh, one of your kids laughed. Um, but think of it. Bodies unrestrained by sin, perfectly loving, transformed, glorious, like Jesus. That's got to be fantastic, hasn't it? How is this all going to happen? <clears throat> well, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the Bible seems to talk about Jesus coming back behind a cloud, from behind a cloud. And I don't know how that works. In their cosmology, the earth was flat. Everybody thought the earth was flat back then. So it's sort of he could come back from there and everybody would see. But we know the earth is a sphere. So if we see him coming back, well, do we text our friend on the other side of the world and say, hey, surprise in the morning. <laughs> Johnny's got an idea. Save it, save it, because we've got some questions at the end. Save it. Maybe it'll be on Instagram or Facebook. Oh, I don't know. Uh, one theologian has pointed out that some New Testament passages talk about Jesus appearing rather than coming. And so rather than Jesus coming from a long, long way away out in the cosmos somewhere, he appears from heaven, which is not so much a place, but a space. God's space becoming integrated with our own space. And he says it like this. It is as if at the moment there is a great curtain hanging down the middle of ordinary reality so that at any point in the place, at any point in any place, God is not far away. Jesus is not far away. It's just that they are currently veiled. But one day the curtain will be lifted. And it won't be like a coming, it'll be like an appearing. The curtain is suddenly lifted and we realise there were all sorts of things going on behind that curtain that were actually integrated with our own reality and we didn't realise it. I mean, in the end, I don't really know. But what I do know is that as sure as he was raised, so he will be revealed. So heaven is not up there. Heaven is here, sort of. A day will come when heaven will completely encompass the earth. So I wonder if the better question to ask is not how do I get to heaven... But how do I get heaven in me? I wonder if that's the better question. We can think about that over a coffee slushy afterwards. Should we talk about coffee slushies? Coffee slushies are outside afterwards anyway. Not for the kids though. They get different slushy. Something to chew about. So let me just give you three things to chew on. Heavenize your language. What are you planning to have written on your tombstone? Some people have gone but not forgotten. Some people have RIP, rest in peace. Others have gone home. Well, can I say, 
all three of those, hopeless. None of them are true. You have not gone home. Did you know Christians didn't talk about and didn't have that inscription on their tombstones uh, before the last hundred years or so? What they did have was, I will arise. Or if you really want to freak people out, just write on it back shortly. That'd be right. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping. So heaven eyes your language. Heaven eyes one another. You know, the New Testament is absolutely chock-a-block full of one another's. We need one another to be who we are in Christ. I need you, you need me, we need one another. That's why church is so, so important. Accept one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, seek good for one another, confess sins to one another, love one another, serve one another, be devoted to one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. That's just a sample of the one another's in the New Testament. So heavenize one another. And heavenize yourself. And what I mean by that is remind yourself that you are a work in progress. When you are disappointed in your performance as a Christian, like I am every day, remember it's not perfection that's being asked for, but progress. And the one that is doing that work in you is not you, but it is Jesus. His spirit renewing you day by day, working in you little by little, step by step. You need to know that because if you think it's all up to you, you'll be just discouraged in a week. You'll give up. You'll think, oh, I'm hopeless. I can't do it. But he can, and he is. So remember that. Jesus has done and is doing a new creation work in you. So heavenize yourself by leaning in on him more and more. Keeping in step with the Spirit. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.